we are at what? I'm thinking about where we're at. Oh, we are at in the month of Tammuz, in the third week of the month, and so the readings for this period of time are in Genesis chapter 19. Yeah, you just happen to come at the sexy part. <laughs> Only Paula would choose to make it happen that way. Well, let's, in order to make sense of this, this is when, what happened now, Abraham has been fed by Melchizedek, the bread and the wine, he's been fed communion or the Lord's Supper, and he's then changed, and his name is no longer Abraham, but I mean Abram, but Abraham. Um, he and Lot separate, Lot being, and Lot chose the best. Sodom and Gomorrah, believe it or not, were the best there was. The Vale of Sidon, which is where the Sodom and Gomorrah was, by description in the, in the scriptures, the most beautiful place in the face of the earth. It was rivaled only by the original Garden of Eden. It was the well-watered valley, and that's and, and so Abraham chose the mountain and its barrenness. Lot chose the valley with its incredible plushness. And then Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of evil. Well, they were doing all kinds of evil stuff, but their real evil was. As we've seen, their, their evil was much more than just sexual. Their evil was um, fundamentally leaning on the own arm of their understanding. Their evil was always opting for um, success after the flesh. Sodom and Gomorrah were very, very successful cities. And, uh, and then they were, they, they were destroyed, and when they were destroyed, they were destroyed by a humongous earthquake that released the chemicals that were in the substructure. And it's interesting that those chemicals in the substructure were the same thing that you make nitroglycerin from. And it was one of the world's largest explosions. It was like 25 atomic bombs that went off, and it permanently dammed the flow of the Jordan River. Previous to this time, the Jordan River flowed openly down through the, into the Gulf of Aqaba, and, and the, whole the whole valley was well watered and beautiful. After this destruction, then it, 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 it stopped the flow, and so now the Jordan just flows into the Dead Sea, and because of the heat of the sun, the water is evaporated, and only the chemicals and the waste is left. Well, that's the picture of most people of the, in the world, because there, there, there's no giving out. And when there's no giving, then you become, as the scriptures say, each except for the seed, we would have been made like Sodom and then made like unto the moral. So now, now Lot has escaped. Lot's wife has been transformed into a pillar of salt. Not just because she turned her head and looked back, but the scriptures say in the Hebrew that she looked back longingly. She wanted to return to that. And then it was destroyed, and she was turned into a pillar of salt. But Lot had escaped with his two daughters, and that was all that was left, and there was massive destruction. And so that's where we are. <coughs> Starting verse 29, Aaron. Where are we at? Oh. Genesis 19.29 And it came to pass when God destroyed the cities of the plain that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities into which Lot dwelt. Now it's important to recognize and remember the only reason that Lot was saved had nothing to do with Lot. It had, was because God remembered Abraham. Just as if the only reason, if you by grace have been brought into a position of still being alive, it has nothing to do with your merit. It has to do because God remembered Christ within you, the seed of Christ within you. But he loses his patience after a while. If you continue on determinedly in your own way, 
blocking the flow just like they did at Sodom and Gomorrah. Eventually, you will be as Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay. And Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain, and his two daughters with him. For he feared to dwell in Zoar, and he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old, and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Okay, let's stop a minute. From their perspective of the world, the world was completely destroyed. So the daughters thought that they and their father were all that was left, the only inhabitants left on the face of the earth. So this is then the rationale for what's about to happen. Come, let us make our father drink wine, and we will lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. And they made their father drink wine that night, and the firstborn went in and lay with her father. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. And it came to pass on the morrow that the firstborn said unto the younger, Behold, I lay yesternight with my father. Let us make him drink wine this night also, and go thou in, and lie with him, that we may preserve seed of our father. Okay, now the question is, where did they get the wine? I mean, if everything had been destroyed, and they were able to take nothing with them out of the city, then where did they get the wine? The Talmud says that, that um, first of all, it says that the wine of Sodom was the best wine that has ever been made in terms of how it's taste and bouquet. And they stored the wine in these mountain caves because they had too much of it. And so the cave that they went into happened to be one of the it was a wine cellar. <laughs> so Lot gets, Lot gets out of Sodom, right? And the first thing he does is shack up in a wine cellar. Right. Okay. <laughs> and they made their father drink wine that night also, and the younger arose and lay with him. And he perceived not when she lay down, nor when she arose. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Thus were both the daughters of Lot with child by their father. And the firstborn bare a son, and called his name Moab, the same as the father of the Moabites unto this day. And the younger, she also bare a son, and called his name Ben-Ami, the same as the father of the children of Ammon unto this day. Okay, now what does all that mean? Why in the hell is that in the Bible? We should take that part out, because it's naughty. First of all, the incest is against all law. It's, it's against the law of just about every culture that I'm aware of, but it's definitely against the laws of, in Judaism. Abraham, Lot, Lot is, is, is Christ said that, um, that Abraham, that, I mean, that, that God delivered the just Lot from the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he, he used it as an example to say that when the end comes, it shall be in the same way that it wasn't Sodom. It was successful, and everybody was doing their own thing, and the end came, and wow. So, but but why, why is this story in the Bible? Let's go to Ruth. Don't the Moabites and the Ammonites end up being enemies and right, right? They 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 are enemies, but. Interestingly enough, in the law, it said the Jews were forbidden to wipe them out. In every other case, like the Amalekites and the others, uh, God wiped, when, when they came against them <coughs> later on in Genesis and in Exodus, God, God just had them destroy every man, woman, child, suckling, animal. But in the case of the, Am the Moabites and the Amorites, they weren't to be destroyed. Now let's find out why. We'll go to Ruth. Another group. What? It's another nasty one. Ruth is right after Judges, if I can find it.
Well, in verse, um, in verse, chapter 1, verse um, 4, Naomi, Naomi left Bethlehem and went to sojourn in the land of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the, the husband died, and, and it says Naomi was left with her two sons. Verse 4, And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of one was Orpha, and the name of the other was Ruth. Now, Orpha chose, when they went back to Bethlehem, Orpha chose to stay with her people, and Ruth left her people and went with Naomi. And there's this famous statement, and go to, over to verse um, 15. And she said, Behold, thy sister-in-law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister-in-law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, or to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. Where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God my God. Where thou diest will I die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if aught but death part thee and me. Now, let's go over to the end of the book in chapter 4. Verse 16, Ruth had its child by Boaz. In verse 17, excuse me. And the, women, and the women, her neighbors, gave it a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi, and they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. So David became... Through the line of David came Christ. Now, had not Lot... I mean, the, the idea, from God's standpoint, God sees all time. Had not Lot's daughters made him drunk and got pregnant by him, there would have been no Messiah. Now, the, the idea here is, is that God will use everything in the universe to protect Messiah. Be past, present, and future. We saw how that was the reason that the, the world was destroyed at the flood. That was the reason that there was a forbidding to mix with any of the people and that they had to kill every man, woman, and child. It's that it's the original prophecy in Genesis 3 that says that the seed of woman shall come forth. There's only been one seed of woman, that was Christ. And destroy everything else. It says he shall overcome the head of the seed of man, or bruise the head. And from God's standpoint, Everything else in the universe is secondary to the protection of that seed of Christ. Now, the mystery of God, which has been hid from all generations, is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And everything else other than that in your life will be destroyed, other than that seed or seed of Christ that's in you, which was shed on all flesh on the day of Pentecost. Christ isn't an option. I mean, the idea that someone could choose Jesus as their personal Savior is about as obscene as... I mean, Christ is the light that lighteth all men. His seed, his sperma of God is within all flesh, whether or not you acknowledge it. And in this case, just as a here where where what looks like terrible incest and all kinds of breaking of all law was to protect the Messiah, so all things that take place in your life that you perceive as negative is to break 
the outward shell that the Messiah within you, the Christ in you, would be, be revealed. Everything else is secondary. All your little plans and ambitions, which none of them are going to come to pass anyway, and if they do, you will be miserable when they do come to pass. All your little ideas about right and wrong are as chaff to the wheat. There's one singular thing going on in time and space, and that is to protect the Christ, the Jesus Christ, in you. Nothing else has any importance. If you read the scriptures correctly, or if you look at life correctly, you will see that this is true. And this is the perfect example. This is the story that's repeated 10,000 times in the scriptures. Everything takes back seat to protecting the mystery of God, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Does everybody understand that? Oh, that, that reminds me of in the, the New Testament, when the parable, parable about the wedding feast, where they send out the, the people to get all the, the good people, like the princes or something like that, and they go out and they don't want to come, so then he sends them out to get Right. Yeah, the reason, but, but see, if you don't know it by now, you will, that everything in life, everything in time and space is against this. All governments, all systems of thought, all philosophies, all religions, all economic systems, all ideas, all plans, all ambitions are against the revelation of Christ. That's why it says, Jesus said, if you were his disciple, you will be hated of all men. and They will kill you and think they're doing God holy service. Because if you walk in such a way which the only way that's, that can be walked is an abandonment, giving no thought for tomorrow, giving no thought for your own life, as we talked about last night, the Holy Spirit's work in you is to reveal Christ, and that is only done in your abandonment of self. And everything, in, especially your mind, your mind is the biggest one that's against it. Because your mind is the Antichrist. The Antichrist shall set himself up in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be as God. The only time in the scriptures that anybody was proclaimed to be as God is in Genesis 3 again, when it says that they judge for themselves good and evil. As long as you are in the position of judging for yourself good and evil, and you're in the position of the Antichrist, he has said, you are the temple of God, the scriptures proclaim. And somebody has set himself up in the temple, proclaiming himself to be as God. Who? The Antichrist. The Antichrist is going under the guise of Paula or Louis or especially Harry. And, 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 and that's why all false religion is the salvation of the Antichrist. Salvation of the isolated self. What about the concept that's popular now among people like Jeff Baker and things that God wants you to be successful in your uh, in the book of Revelation, Jesus said the only two things that he ever said he hated were the doctrine of the Nicolaitans and the doctrine of Balaam. Well, the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, the word Nicolaitan in the Greek means one who preaches success. That's what Nico means, success. And the doctrine of Balaam is the doctrine of mixing, where you mix this word of God, this mystery of God, with some world system. And it's a stench. It's a joke. The possible, I mean, it's beyond comprehension how evil it is. Do you equate that with the doctrine of the super, the super church concept. Well, it's the, just, the it's just. There's only two things left since the cross. There's the bride and the whore. The bride 
It's, and Paul calls it the vessels of wrath or the vessels of mercy. The vessels of wrath are the ones that continue on in self-seeking. It doesn't matter whether it's in the name of Christ or in the name of Buddha or in the name of you or in the name of anything else. As long as it's self-seeking, then it's the, it's, it's the vessel of wrath. The vessel of mercy is the one who has appropriated grace. Therefore, no longer lives by cause and effect, reward, punishment, impulse, response. Because all those things are of the Gentile mind and are the things that passed away. It's God's good pleasure to give the vessels of mercy the kingdom. But in that process, suffering is required. Suffering doesn't mean, all that suffering is, 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 is your idolatry being destroyed. And the scriptures call it chastisement. I was on. I was invited to be on that program, uh, Jim and Tammy Baker's program, and they. God, I'd like to see that. God, I'd like to see that. She can really cry. Well, let me. Let me. Let me. I'll show you something. <laughs> be right back. Don't leave. That's all me. <laughs> Tammy got a teeth bonding. Got a show about tooth bonding a few a couple of weeks ago. They flew me up there first class, put me up in the fanciest hotel, had a limousine pick me up, all those kind of good things. And then, and, and he'd never, I, I wrote a bad book, but, um, we know several people that do that. He had, uh, um, never read the book and so we were just about he and Tammy were sitting around and um, he had never he, so he we, we were talking a little bit before we went on the air and, and so he said well tell me about this book that you've just written and how it glorifies God or ie how it glorifies his theology and I said well the best way I mean to, to the only thing of value in the book is the epilogue and so he read the epilogue and called over the producer. <laughs> the producer then, and then he left, and the producer about two minutes later came over and told me that they had technical difficulties and weren't able to <laughs> do the show. So they put me in the limousine, took me back to the airport, sent me back to Dallas. But here's the epilogue. We pray for patience, and God sends tribulation. We pray for submission, and God sends suffering. We pray for unselfishness, and God asks that we sacrifice ourselves. We pray for victory, and God allows us to be tempted. We pray for humility, and God allows messengers of Satan to buffet us. We pray for strength, and God reveals our secret fears and innermost weakness. We pray for union with Jesus, and God severs all natural ties, and we walk alone, and our friends misunderstand. We pray for love, and God sends us peculiar suffering by sending us unlovely people. We pray for likeness to Jesus, and God puts us in the furnace of affliction. Much that perplexes us is but an answer to our prayers. Anyway, maybe. That did it. That did it. <laughs> and in another one, there's another program that's called The Good News. That's... Um, sponsored by the Full Gospel Businessmen, and it's syndicated in 280 television stations across the country. And they'd asked me to be on the program. And this guy, the, um, the host of the program, is a guy named Demo Shakarian, and he's the founder of this organization, which is a charismatic uh, success kind of thing. And uh, he built me up in the not talking anything about God, but all the stuff I'd done be, be, before I'd been a believer. And he, went on for about 10 minutes and then he called me out onto the stage and and he's a big jolly man with a you know he's the kind of guy you'd like I mean he's a nice guy and he slaps me in the back and says and brother Oli what has God done for you today and I said I looked him I looked him right in the eye and I said he's messed up my life today just like he's done every day since I've known his existence because he's not interested in Oli Anthony's life he's interested in the revelation of Christ well <laughs> 
the guy, they didn't halt the interview, they continued it, but it was a taped interview, it wasn't live. And um, I, I found out this later, that uh, a man named Dick Mann was the, was the producer and director of the program that, that the Full Gospel Businessmen had hired to do the program. And they were going to can it, they weren't going to run it. And Dick Mann, uh, something in it hit him, and, it, and he said, unless you run the program, I quit. So they ran. They aired the program. I had thousands of letters over that too. So anyway, if, in a roundabout way, that answers your question. I hope. Now, throughout the scriptures, from this point forward, when, when whenever we see the word Moab or Moabites or Ammonites, we'll, if you when when you see it, they are always symbolic of false religion, or formal religion. And, even, and it's, it's, it's because from that formal religion, you know, comes the Messiah. Right? So don't, you, we can't denigrate anything. I mean, we can make fun of it every once in a while, hopefully in good taste, but um, it's not something to be, I mean, don't be like, uh, don't don't fall into the trap of condemning anything. What do you mean by formal religion? Well, I don't know how else to say it. Organized religion, formal religion of any kind. Doesn't matter whether it's Christian or not, or what it can be. Judaism or Christianity or Islam or any of the anything. It's once it's formalized when when liturgy is set and uh, you know then it then but and I, I'll show you when we get in, on a little bit later into this how each of the you know like Egypt and Moab and Babylon and Persia and all these things are symbolisms of the allegory okay everybody understand perfectly okay well let's go on back to Genesis Genesis 20. Abraham's going to mess up again. For the second time, he's going to try to sell his wife. <laughs> okay. Let's read. Um, just read. Wait a minute. Read the whole thing. And Abraham journeyed from thence toward the south country and dwelled between Kadesh and Shur and sojourned to Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. Okay, you remember now. That's the same thing he did when he went down to Egypt. First of all, well, I'm, uh, <clears throat> oh, let, let me just say that what, where he, he where he went here is he left the promise between Kadesh. Remember when, when, when in Kadesh, the Kadesh and Shur is a, it, it's out of the promised land. It's out of the boundaries of the promise. And so what it, what it means is, for some reason, it doesn't specify here, but it probably was something like famine or he didn't have enough stuff for his sheep. He left the promise again, just like he did earlier. When, he, when there was a famine in the land, instead of staying and depending on God, he went to Egypt. And in Egypt, he sold his wife. I try to get rid, you know, try to say he's his sister. Now here again, he's left the promise again. And Kadesh is the place that the nation of Israel, when they wandered in the wilderness, and said they wandered for 40 years. They didn't wander for 40 years. They wandered for one year. They spent 39 years in one place, Kadesh Barnea. And that's right here outside the promise. They're just below the promise. They can see the promise, but they can't enter into it because of what? Well, that's another story. So here Abraham's doing the same thing. 
He leaves the promise for some reason it doesn't specify. First thing that happens is Abimelech is the king of that area. He's afraid that, that he's going to get killed because Sarah's so beautiful. So he essentially says it's his sister, here, take her, for my life. So this is about the 14th time that there's a major screw-up recorded by Abraham, of Abraham. Major screw-up. And yet, the book of Romans, Paul says that Abraham is the model of faith. He's the perfect Christian. Because he always did what he felt like. He never acted. Never once did he act. From God's standpoint, the worst thing you can do is what most of you have done all your life. Just put on your little Sunday best and be nice people. They'll know we are Christians because we're nice. That's a crock of something from the depths of hell. Your only requirement is to, to, to be what you are, no matter how distasteful you may think it is. But be it with everything in you. Stop this pussyfooting around and saying, oh, I shouldn't be this way, or I shouldn't be this way, or I shouldn't think about that stuff. Just be you. And then God can deal with you. That's all that Abraham did, remember. Was he went through life and he did everything he wanted to do and he said, I don't want to do this anymore. And that was the grace by which he became the father of all faith. The simple honesty that says, I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. But he lived it to the fullest. He didn't hold back. He didn't say, I shouldn't act this way. Okay? Why, why does Abimelech want Sarah? She's now like 90, right? She's mm -hmm. been through menopause. Why do you want her? Because she's beautiful. Because she's beautiful. Still. Still. Remember, remember you, you got to remember this, and, and, and it's worth mentioning again, is that before the flood, the earth was totally engulfed in clouds. The clouds were so thick that the, the earth was like a hothouse. And the one aspect of the clouds is that they stopped the ultraviolet rays from the sun. And because of the only, if, if, if you study any science today, the only two things that cause aging after you reach a maturity point, the only two things that cause aging are anxiety and ultraviolet rays from the sun. So now... It hadn't been that many years since, so genetically they're still much stronger than we are because the ultraviolet rays haven't produced the denigration in the gene, gen, gene structure that they did have now. So it doesn't mean when you say 90, she had passed menopause, but she, that doesn't mean she was ugly. Perhaps quite the opposite. <laughs> no, perhaps quite the opposite. Okay, just read through verse 7, Butch. Okay. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, thou art but a dead man. <laughs> for the woman which thou hast taken, for she is a man's wife. But Abimelech had not come near her, and he said, Lord, wilt thou slay also a righteous nation? Said he unto me, She is my sister, and she, even she herself, said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and innocency of my hands, I have done this. And God said unto him in a dream, Yea, I know that thou didst this in the integrity of thy heart, for I also withheld thee from sinning against me. Therefore suffered I thee not to touch her. Now therefore restore the man his wife, for he is a prophet, and he shall pray for thee. And thou shalt live, and if thou restore her not, know thou that thou shalt surely die, thou and all that are thine. Okay, now, we, we saw what the protection was in, in uh, Egypt 
You know, the Egyptians were the cleanest of all people. They liked their religion to be clean, and they liked everything to be nice and orderly and on time. Nice. And there was a period of purification before the woman that one of Pharaoh's wives would be added into it before he would come unto her. And so during that period of purification is when um, God revealed that, that it was uh, that Sarah was Abraham's wife. Now here again in Abimelech's time, there, there wasn't this period of purification because these are, these are herdsmen. They didn't, they didn't care about some little dirt or something. I mean, but something happened that he prevented her. We don't know what it was, but the, the Talmud says that, that Abimelech couldn't get it up. And that's why, that was how God prevented him from violating Sarah. Which is uh, interesting. Clever strategy. Clever strategy. <laughs> so, well, I mean, let's look at this again. What happened? Oh, I don't remember what happened. I didn't tell you what happened. The ashes and 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 and, and the brimstone and everything that came about as a result of the of the uh, destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah caused it caused the pasture area to be destroyed where where Mamre where where he was. So that's why he left the promise and went south. Okay, the same place is where the angel intercepted Hagar. It was supposed to be a very beautiful place in the desert. I mean, it sure was. Kadesh was in the wilderness. It was here where Moses got water from the rock when the people rebelled for the lack of water. And it's the reason that Moses didn't enter the promise because he didn't just speak to the rock, he hid it. Holy? Yeah. I have a question. Why, does a lot, why do a lot of the things that happen keep happening at the same places and things like that? Um, not only in the same places, but they happen on particular, almost everything in the Bible happens on a feast day. One of the eight feasts. It happens so that for us to see. I mean, it's each of those places are symbolic of something, and they always and they happen at a place and a time that we might see. Okay, let me let me let me. Abimelech was a. I, I had once studied all this stuff, and these notes are very old. So let me read it. Abimelech was a Philistine king whom Abraham whom Abraham <coughs> obviously feared. His city is about 40 miles west of Hebron, near the sea coast. The, the scriptures don't say, but Sarah must have still been very beautiful, which brought on the similar experience as they had with Pharaoh. Abraham is, and the, the reason for this experience is to show you that, that, that the fact that you're brought to shame more than once to learn the fear of God isn't unique. And that's why this is in the Bible. Isaac and Rebekah will have a, a similar experience with Abimelech's son in just a few chapters. Isaac is going to sell Rebekah. Father like son, right? Oh yeah, the... the, the uh, Job says that, you know, this thing about dreams, he said, generally dreams are vain images of our imaginations which are caused by anxiety or overeating. <laughs> However, God uses those dreams to reveal many things. Now, as I told you before, you're, in, in, from God's standpoint, you're responsible for your dreams. You're responsible for not only your dreams, but, but for your compulsive activity. And the compulsive activity is just the, the remnants of the grove, and the dreams are just the remnant of the, you know, that trying to... It's, it's an area which is strange fire from the standpoint of the spiritual type. Let's talk about the grove. 
<laughs> what would you like to talk about? Well, I appreciate you explain that. All right. You see, people think that being religious is an option, but all men pray all the time. All men tithe. All men do all of the stuff that all, they all they all do the stuff, but they're doing it to the wrong God. You tithe to your you you will always everybody tithes. You tithe to your chief God. The tenth the the, the, the first fruits of what you produce go to your chief God. For some of you, that's American Express. <laughs> now, you pray all the time from God's standpoint, because all, all, from, from God's standpoint, all your thoughts are, are prayers, conscious or subconscious. And there's, a, there's, a, there's several scriptures in the Old Testament that say, that say I can speak, come out. You shall destroy their altars, break down their images, and cut down their groves. Thou shalt not plant thee a grove of any tree near unto the altar of the Lord thy God. Now the word grove there is a mistranslation. It's the Hebrew word Asherah, which is the Phoenician goddess of love and increase and fertility. And goddess whose worship was widely spread throughout Syria and Canaan. She was probably Ishtar originally. Now, again, if we take the premise that this book is an allegory of what's taking place within you, then this grove means something within you and within your subconscious. In Hebrews 2, it's a... Um, is talking about Jesus, it says, For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is, the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Now, I've never, I've never consciously, you know, except in a few instances, been afraid of death. I don't think any of you, I mean, you, don't, it's not, you don't think about it a great deal. But from the, from, the, from the spiritual standpoint, death isn't necessarily the physical act of dying, it's the act of being separate. Through, through, if this is right, then through all your life you have been in bondage through fear of death, through fear of separation. That during your very early years, you constructed scenarios that kept you from being separate. You, know, you did you did various things that, that to prove that you weren't separate. Well, the idea of the study of the groves is to look at those things that you have constructed that kept you from the illusion of being separate and therefore dispel them. Now, for most of you, all all of the grove activities within you are compulsive. Um, the, the biggest one, if, if your mind sees, if your subconscious mind, if, this, if you as a hunk of protoplasm see separation as death, what you see as life is sexuality. And so in that construct, throughout earliest, from the earliest years, you've, you have, you have made in a spiritual sense, you've put leaves on this one tree, you've put false hangings on this tree, which to give that tree the appearance of life. Namely, you know, thousands of them. But uh, we had one of the most wrenching weekends in the history of the world last year. We, we, we had a groves weekend where people had to speak the groves because in the speaking of them, they're dispelled. Uh, now, 
So what, what groves are about, in, in, in a very quick summary, is the things that you have constructed in your life. Normally, again, for, for many of them, for many of you, it's, and for most of the groves, they have a sexual connotation that kept you from the fear of death, or i.e. the fear of separation. Is that, uh, this is a, a biggie. So, I mean, it's, it's so endemic to our nature that it's like it being in the ocean trying to describe the sea. I mean, the point is, what isn't groves is probably a better question. But what things do you do to protect yourself or to keep from being separate that are compulsive? And that's the, that's the arena of the groves. Now, the reason I said, you know, that, that now the pillars, it's groves and pillars, they tie together. The pillar are the graven images that, 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 that give you the identity or the false identity. They're, they're the, everything that keeps you from being as the small child. Remember when Christ said, except you become as a little child, you shall no wise enter the kingdom of heaven. And the, 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 the pillars are the, the graven images that you have that, that are your prejudices. By definition, a prejudice, I mean any opinion that you have is a prejudice because it's being judged before the time. So you have pillars and groves. Really, a pillar and a post. The, post, the grove is one tree. It's a false tree, and it was actually constructed back in this time of Ashtoreth. And it was one tree that, that was decorated to make it look like it was a live tree. It was a Christmas tree. Where we get the idea of Christmas tree. Does that summarize that at all to your mind what groves are? Well, what are you trying to keep from being separate from? Well, from other people. In, in, in the first instance, you're, you, you, are, you construct groves to keep from being separate from mother or father. You know, I mean, it's, and then it continues on in life. You mean like just trying to fit into groups and stuff? Right. But it's more than just fitting in. It's the it's it's their their subconscious. The most powerful one. There's conscious groves and subconscious groves. The most powerful ones are the subconscious. Freud said that that it was sexuality that was the driving force. And if you believe this, it's not the drive. Sexuality isn't the driving force. The first cause, the first cause, is the fear of death and the fear of separation, and then that manifests itself in sexuality. Now, when I said this is a, a photograph of your subconscious, in it is the grove, the god of Molech. Now, Molech was a god that had a human body and a, and a bull's head, and his arms were outstretched, and he was heated red hot. And then the children were passed through the fire and if they, to see if they were accepted. And um, that's what we do when we pass on our opinions to our children. We, we are, you know, we are passing them through the fires of Molech. The pillar, as I said, is the ideas and opinions. The altar of sacrifice is the things that you give breath to. What, to all that worship means is to give breath to or give importance to. And when God demands exclusive worship, he means it. And when you give breath to all of the things, your little plans and ambitions and stuff, well, then you're, you, you are worshiping a false god from God's standpoint. The, the Kaddishes are the temple prostitutes. Well, all of you are temple prostitutes because you take action. To, I mean, obviously, a, somebody once said that you know, prostitution isn't just the world's oldest profession, it's the world's only profession because you sell your services. And that's, you know, that's really stupid. Well, also there's there's the table where you drank the sacred, you ate and drank the sacred meal. There's the music, there's the tithing, the drink offerings, the altar of incense. I mean, all these things are. It's what this is your subconscious mind. And so to deal with it is to study the groves. John the Baptist said it interesting. He said when he baptized Christ, he said, "Now the axe is laid to the root of the tree." 
when Christ was baptized, it was a cosmic event because through it, it laid the axe to the root of the, of the grove. You know, it's, it's, we study, we spent, what, two months on this, so it's hard to get a... Mm-hmm. One thing that, <clears throat> that sticks with me um, that we saw, though, was that the groves, the high places, the, the places of worship, the groves, were, were necessary outside the promise. Yeah. They, they, yeah. And aren't attacked and aren't torn down until... They're not... They're inside, inside the promise. Well, they're not, well, more than that, they're not torn down until the temple is dedicated. And because all of these high places that were in the land were all there, and they were, they were there. If, if if you didn't have the groves, you couldn't have been a social animal. You would have been <laughs> be either dead or in an institution. Yeah, and so the groves have been necessary. It's just it's, it's one of again, it's the concept. Like a blueprint. Well, no, it's not even a blueprint. It's just it's what's necessary to. to if if, the, if you didn't have the groves, you couldn't have stayed alive this long. Mm-hmm. But again, it's when what they've served their purpose when the temple is dedicated. Again, you being the temple, when it's dedicated, when it's when the glory of the Lord fills the temple, then the groves have served their purpose. And that's why the the word for hell in the New Testament is Gehenna, which is the Hebrew word Hahinon, or the the Valley of Hinnon. And the Valley of Hinnon was immediately outside of the east gate of Jerusalem, and it was the dump. So all that hell is, is the dump. And everything that's in the dump had to be used. I mean, it was used, or otherwise it wouldn't have been in the dump. And so as we see and knowledge, we look and we see that we're living in the new Jerusalem. That's our only place of abode. It's not something that's going to happen sometime in the future. It's here now. And, it, and it's everything that's used has been used and it's used up, it goes into the dump. That's why it says, use the world, but don't abuse it. Use meaning use it as a handle, but don't give it any abuse means give it breath. Don't give it any breath. There's nothing in the world that's worth it, worthy of giving breath to. Now, next we're going to do the groves weekend again. The groves are necessary. You have to go through the groves to get to Passover. And Passover is I mean, that's the, we we celebrate these ancient feasts. Where, where is the other groves weekend? Next spring. I have a dental appointment that week. <laughs> Harry Fail Grove. <laughs> Obviously. Can't we do it sooner than that? You can do it anytime you feel a need. It's only because of our um, rebelliousness that we have to have a Grove's weekend. All right, I don't want to talk anymore. I quit. Does anybody have any questions? If it's an easier, it could go longer. <laughs> yeah, it gets po- it get it gets without effort. Oh, okay. okay. It is, let, let, me, let me. You guys don't know this, but when Christ said it's finished, He meant it. He said, "Your war." Isaiah says, "Your warfare is accomplished." In quietness and in confidence, you shall be saved. When he, when he, the finishedness of it was a completion of these mystical feasts. Christ was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the Feast of Hanukkah. He was born in the Feast of Rosh Hashanah. He was baptized in the Feast of Yom Kippur. He turned the water into wine and was transfigured in the Feast of Tabernacles. He was crucified in the Feast of Passover. He was buried in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He rose from the dead in the Feast of First Fruits, and his spirit, or seed, was shed on all flesh in the Feast of Pentecost. I thought nobody knew exactly what Christ was doing. Well, I thought that was the debate. No, it's not a debate. No. I can I can prove it to you beyond comprehension, beyond beyond doubt if you want to take the answer. One three B he was born in the month of September in three BC. The finishedness of it is it's like you have to know from God's standpoint, Christ is what's left when everything you can think about is gone. I mean, you have to have gone through the process of, of coming to the end of yourself in every arena of life. 
That's why Abraham, all he did was, I don't want to do this anymore. Well, if you, if, if you don't want to do this anymore and you're still doing it, then you're halting the Spirit of God. I mean, and, and, and the, the reason that we study this is to see that it's not a, that, you, you know, Abraham screwed up more than you do, and yet he's considered the model of faith. Again, you can't, I mean, this may sound wild, but from a spiritual standpoint, you cannot make a mistake. The only thing God hates is when you protect yourself. When you opt for security. Opting for security, whether it's emotional or financial or sexual or any, doesn't matter. Once you opt for security, then you know that you're going to be, you're, you're well, what will happen is your own worst fears will come upon you. Anybody else? So the question, I mean, the answer to your question is, it's, it's, it's totally easy. It's completed. You just rest. Um, doesn't it say somewhere about when the, the glory, the glory of God filled the temple? That uh, all the work stopped or something like that? Wouldn't that have something to do with this, what you're talking about? About it's finished, all the work? Yeah. When the floor fills the temple, the priest stopped? Everything stopped. Doing. They couldn't do anything because it's done. We just finished the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. <clears throat> Tabernacles is an eight-day feast. First seven days you're supposed to live in booths outside, and, uh, and then the last night is the, the seventh day. Remember, Jewish day started sunset, end of sunset. Well, in the evening, the, just before sunset, they took and they burned. The se- end of the seventh day, they burned all of the booths they'd been living in, took a, a, a representative of the of the paradise apple, which was the knowledge, the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, and they burned the the booth and they smashed the apple and then they entered the eighth day. Well, the eighth day is the rest, the total rest where everything is finished. It's the day of the, it's the resurrection day. And that's what happens in our lives. We go through the seven days of time in which we try our own things and do all the, you know, do all the stuff. And then you, you finally, you do, you enter the rest. But none of this stuff is optional. And that's the, because the first thing that happens is you, you hear this stuff and you try to do something when you can't do anything. Um, not even prior now? <laughs> the only thing that helps is the cross. Because preaching the cross to them that perish is foolishness, but to, unto us which are being saved is the power of God. And the cross is, is when you accept the fact that it wasn't just Christ that died on the cross, it was you. You've, you've been operating under a false identity all these years. You've been a usurper of the land. This is the promised land. Now, again, it's time for the Feast of Jubilee in which the land was returned to its rightful owner. The owner of the land is Christ in you, the hope of glory, and that's not optional. Every man other than that recognition is a usurper on the land. Arguing. I love arguing. Nobody argues with me anymore. Do they have any needs or prayer requests? Yeah, I have a prayer request. 
that my mother and father, in the midst of the turmoil they're going through, would hear, see. Right. Henry's father uh, found a tumor in his lung today. He's lost a lot of weight. He had to have a biopsy and possibly even an operation. So Harry may be going up there. Who do you know now? I'm going to call her Friday afternoon to see when they schedule the rest. Take it, Father. Mm -hmm.